Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to episode 78 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thanks so much for joining me on your Saturday. Hope all is well. Joseph Malazzi is joining us for season nine today on Dial the Gate. We're going to be reviewing SG-1 season nine in detail, particularly with his episodes, particularly with how the kind of energy of the show evolved and uh, we're going to take an honest look at, uh, at Season 9, the things that made it great, the things that maybe made it not so great. And uh, we're really glad to have you with us. But before we really get into this here, I would invite you to share this, especially if you want to see more content like this on YouTube. It would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on the gateworld.net YouTube channel. As with most of the shows, these are live, so if you are watching on youtube.com slash dialthegate, feel free to submit Joe a question, and I will do my very best to get that asked to him. Uh, For the first half of the show, I ask him questions, and then for the second half, I turn it over to the fans. And that's how we roll. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to once again have us joined by Mr. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer, Stargate SG-1. Welcome back, sir. So your your projects are in development right now, and you're just yep. you're just making things, waiting for things to pan out. Well, I'm working on various stages of projects, and uh, as I said, hopefully one of them goes. Absolutely. Apologies to everyone for for the audio issue. Um, so we are going to talk about basically what is, in many respects, a brand new series. Um. Because Stargate Command. Stargate Command. Yeah. In many respects, Stargate SG-1 ended with Season 8. I and Darren and I had always talked about, you know, how how do you think it's going to end? And I always said, to be perfectly honest, I think it's going to end with them fishing. I mm-hmm. just have that feeling. And in many respects, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and then uh, Rick... It was like, you know what? I've given you guys eight years of my life. I think, you know, I want to focus on raising my kid. You know, there are, there are other things I want to do. You know, his philanthropic work, you know, was was taking up more and more of his time. And, you know, absolutely well-deserved. And then you guys decided to take it in a different direction, potentially even renaming the series. Tell us a little bit about coming into the office um, or at least, at the very least, you know, rolling out, finishing out season eight, going into to season nine. It was not guaranteed, again, right? No, but I mean, near the end of season eight is when, again, we heard uh, that we'd gotten another pickup. And at that point, you know, as I say, every season we approached 
the finale as though it would be a series finale, uh, only to you know, uh, you know, either in time or sometimes not in time, discover that we were getting picked up. So, you know, Robert and you know, and, and Brad decided this would be the end of SG One just because. As you mentioned, Rick was looking to spend time with his daughter, and so he would kind of been phasing out the character over time. But this was going to be it, and so Rob had the opportunity to tie up all those loose ends, uh, and we completed the SG One story. And as you said appropriately enough, it ends with them fishing, and uh, and then you know, I think as far back as, as a season earlier, Brad and Robert had been talking about the spinoff, mm -hmm. uh, which they named Stargate Command. And and really what, what you know, what would it look like? And, and there, there were no real plans or ideas cemented. Um, but, you know, the decision obviously was made to continue SG-1. It was, it was a Brad and Rob decision, but also I think it was a decision made by the studio and the networks who felt like, you know, they wanted a, continue, a continuation of the SG-1 brand. Uh, so Rob had the inspiration to introduce this new uh, enemy called the Ori. And, you know, since we had lost Rick, we were looking to have someone kind of step in to that role, more or less. Um, and, you know, around that time, I think, or maybe a season earlier, Farscape had been, um, had been canceled. Uh, and, um, I remember I, I pitching Brad, in fact, I, I pitching Brad, um, Ben Browder and I actually pitched Ben for, uh, the role of Dr. Uh, of, uh, John Shepard on Stargate Atlantis, but Ben was shooting Peacekeeper War, a Peacekeeper War at the time. Would that have been interesting if he yeah. had been Shepard? Yeah. And so, you know, he, we, were, we were kind of looking to sort of decide what the next step would be. And I suggested, why don't you reach out to Sci-Fi and suggest Ben Browder? Because I know they love Ben. And so they did. And Sci-Fi loved the idea. And, and we made Ben the offer. And I remember he ended up watching all seven seasons of SG-1 sort of like cram school, uh, like they do in Japan. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, came very well versed in, uh, in, in Stargate lore. Um, we had introduced the Vala character in, uh, in, in uh, I believe it was season seven. Season eight. It was Prometheus season Unbound. Eight. Sorry, season eight. Yeah, season eight, sorry. And, um, you know, we love the character. You know, it's... It, she was very atypical of the type of characters we usually wrote for. So it's always kind of fun to write the kind of the rogue element. And we pitched to, uh, to sci-fi that we would make both Ben and, and Claudia's characters series regulars. And sci-fi was like, no, 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 we can't have both Ben and Claudia be a series regulars. That would be too much like Farscape. And I pointed out, particularly in, in Claudia's case, her character was nothing like her her Farscape character, but you know the 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 network balked, and so we ended up um, signing her on to I'm not sure what it was like maybe a four episode uh, deal, and so we we produced those episodes and, and we delivered the the first cuts to Sci-Fi, and they were like wow we love this character 
let's make her a se season regular. And I said, well, at that point, the ship had already sailed because we would already planned the rest of the season. So, you know, if uh, if they wanted her to be a series regular, then just pick us up for a 10th season and she would become a series regular. Spoiler alert, it all worked out. Uh, <laughs> but, in, in you know, in that, you know, the, the season nine was very much a ship in, in, in dynamics sort of creatively. Um, also just kind of, I guess, uh, in a way, sort of production wise. Um, was this the season that Atlantis started? Season eight it? and season, uh, season one. Season, so yeah, yeah. The, the last year that Rick was on as a general, yeah. that was yeah. that was the season that Atlantis started yeah. with. Yeah. So yeah. Atlantis was in season two when SG one was in season nine, and so SG one okay. kind of became the infant again with with new cast right. and new direction and everything else. I remember coming yeah. in there, everyone was really excited about SG one. And mm -hmm. not that they weren't excited about Atlantis, but SG One had enough new elements in it that everyone was like, "Check out what we're doing now!" You know, mm -hmm. you guys built a ton of new sets uh, that yeah. year, the Village, and yes. that, what a massive endeavor that was! I remember Brad's was... saying, "You know, oh, in the script, uh, SG One comes to a village again. It's like oh, a village. What are we gonna do?" And so you guys built a standing set. Yep, yep. And we, uh, as I like to say, shot the hell out of it. I mean, we redressed it. It, it became, it was like the abandoned village in, in Whispers. It was uh, uh, one of the sort of off-world villages in, uh, in uh, Ark of Truth. It appeared in um, Crusade. Uh, just in Morpheus. Uh, just like a bunch of, of episodes. And we would always like, obviously look to sort of like mix it up and give it, give it all a, a different looks. Because I remember we would be off looking for, um, for locations to shoot in. And that was always tough. It was always tough. And I remember there was one place, it was actually a Western town. And um, I kind of loved the look, even though it wasn't like really quite kind of the, the middle middle age aesthetic we were looking for at the time uh it was an entire western set uh and and we looked at it but ultimately um they came back and they were like uh no no one has shot in, in a couple of years those sets are ready to collapse at any oh, any moment so yeah, that's a factor too we, uh, yeah so we ended up building uh building a a standing village set and Ivan Bartok, our, our then um, uh, special features producer, I remember he did a special feature called uh, "It Takes Village." It takes a village, I think, or something yeah, to that effect. Right. And and uh, and there was like time lapse photography of that village going up, and it's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, you know, when I look back on it, I remember actually once uh, executive producer Carl Binder and I took a video tour of the uh, of the village. It was uh, a lot of fun. I was just as impressed with the cave set that you guys built at the same time. It first appears mm -hmm. as um, the uh, the Glastonbury Caves in, mm -hmm. uh, in Avalon and um, later in uh, Morpheus and a, and a bunch of others. But I mean, there mm -hmm. was there that was such a that was such a cool design as well. It reminded me so much of of Planet Hell. Uh, down at mm -hmm. Paramount for the, for all the Star Trek shows, but you guys definitely made your own feel about it as as well. There was just a lot of money that was that was uh, poured into into that season. One of the things that Christopher Judge said is that 
I think MGM had provided some some cash as well to allow a lot of these things to be done. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we probably received some sort of breakage, although it's, you know, off the top of my head, I don't recall. Uh, you know, that's maybe a question for Brad. I guess yeah. I would be kind of surprised if that was the case. Um, because I, mean, I know it, it was a big set and it was a, 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 a kind of big expensive set. But but then again, I mean, like I said, we shot the hell out of it. And what I mean yeah. by that is, you know, we made effective use of that standing set. And that's something that Brad and Robert, uh, you know, always did is, is ensure that the money we had always ended up on screen. And the way they did that was to, you know, do something like this, like, you know, build a set that we would use more than once, for right. instance, and kind of repurpose and, uh, and um, you know, just get our money's worth. Speaking of the standing sets, did um, the spaceship, the Prometheus set, did that, that start off at Bridge and then event- and move to Norco for season nine? Because I remember, you know, going over to, I think it, I think it was at Norco by it, it definitely was at, at that br- point. It definitely was uh, okay. at the bridge uh, initially. I mean, I yeah. remember walking through and, and, and doing those, uh, those walk and talks uh, or, or, or watching them shoot those walk and talks. Um, yeah, that I, I guess it, it, I guess maybe was it moved to Norco? When did we pack up Norco? Because I remember there was a point late in the shows in the franchise's run it may have been the universe mm-hmm. yeah I where think by we universe, had to narco pack up gone. narco yeah yeah but i just remember the sprawling spaceships mm-hmm. i mean just went on and on you guys seem to add to it like every single yeah. year there yeah. was something new to that set and man you want to talk about getting mileage out of a set mm-hmm. you know all those ships the same one again yeah. and again, just slight changes to the bridge and gels mm-hmm. and, and the lights and you mm-hmm. got a new ship. Mm-hmm. So what was it like getting a feel for the new team dynamic with with Mitchell, with with Vala? And Teal'c is basically, you know, he's joined the Jaffa High Council. Mm-hmm. Sam is at Area 51 having a baby. And you know you've got uh, you've, you've got Daniel just kind of well, ready to go to it, uh, Atlantis again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how it's, the it's classic, are. classic getting the band back together, right? And and so Ben's character, Cameron Mitchell, was kind of the uh, the driving force in reassembling the team. And um, you know, the the, the um, the new dynamics were not without its controversy. Uh, one being the much uh, debated, hotly debated uh, command question. Uh, who was mm, in right. charge of SG-1? Was it Cameron Mitchell who was given the team and is bringing everything back together? Or should it be Carter who, who was really second in command to O'Neill? And then when O'Neill leaves, presumably she would assert command. Uh, so... That was, you know, a heated debate uh, online, but I would say it was a very heated debate in the writer's room as well. Really? Yes. Yeah. I can certainly understand that because one of the things that I want to to touch on was you guys, um, that there was a lot of feedback from mm-hmm. Jonas. Um, I loved that character. I loved what mm-hmm. he added to the show. Um, not everyone did. 
Mm-hmm. And, and a lot, a lot of the the people who were very protective of Daniel um, mm-hmm. had their reasons. Then Mitchell comes in, and his first line in flashback is, "Remember, uh, we are here to protect SG One at all costs." And mm-hmm. I remember sitting and watching the show. And I'm like, "They're not going to um, play him like they played Jonas at all. They're going to make him very like." deferential, deferential to, yes. to SG-1, you know, I wanted to learn from the best. I wanted to learn from you, Sam Carter. You know, they mm-hmm. wanted to make him a fan mm-hmm. of, of the team, you know, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. And, you know, I think that, I think that that was, uh, I mean, or correct me if I'm wrong, like, you know, one of, one of the lessons that was, that was kind of, uh, that, that kind of evolved from having Jonas come in, because I'm sure you guys did not want that kind of reaction from the Rick fans to be like, he's not Rick. I'm not interested in this show without it. Yeah. Cause a lot of the Rick fans, when Rick was gone, a lot of, I remember the fandom, a lot of people left. A lot of people yeah. just stopped watching cause they were watching yeah. for Rick. Yeah. I, I think it was a different situation though, to be honest with you. I think the, the, uh, the Rick fans were quite not as, uh, um, angry as we'll say, because I mean, Rick, kind of made it clear he right he he wanted to spend time with his and it, you know it, it was very much it had nothing to do with the creative it had nothing to do with anything except the fact that he wanted to spend time with his daughter and so you know Cameron coming in was really less of a Rick a, a, a an O'Neill replacement that's uh, fair yeah I agree than, you know so we, you know we didn't get that 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 kind of pushback that that we got with 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 the Jonas character, um, so I mean, you, you know, I mean, making him deferential, I think, just kind of made sense given who SG One, you know, was g- given their cred. Uh, it was believable that someone stepping into those shoes would, you know, have a lot of respect mm-hmm. for those who came before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, I mean, like you said, it, it hopefully kind of endears uh, the character the, to the fans in that he's very respectful of uh, of the uh, classic. Absolutely, team. and he's also from Earth. He's also from a team that we. Don't, I mean, in um, Fragile Balance, you know, when the F three hundred two pilots are are uh, getting uh, their instruction from Young Jack O'Neill. I mean, mm-hmm. we we know Cameron's in there, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. if there was if there was ever a retcon scene, he would be there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we know that he knows these people, and we know that um, the other thing is, I mean, a lot of the story has been finished. You know, he knows mm-hmm. the chapter that we know with with that has that has just been resolved in season eight, so he gets it. And mm-hmm. you know, I think I think um, uh, uh, Ben, I think Mitchell had 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 more things to stand on. Uh, than than Jonas did story wise and and like minefield wise walking in so mm-hmm. but um, so you, you had indicated that uh, that Stargate Command was kind of in development um, for a little while before season nine had had come about like so w- were Atlantis to come on then we were going to create. Another spinoff series of SG One, so this would have kind of been like the the second spinoff. Well, in development, I mean, okay. not. I didn't really. realize it was that. it was it was something that 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 Brad and 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 Robert had kind of 
spoken on and off again about doing a, an SG-1 spinoff, which they named uh, Stargate Command. Appropriately. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I mean, then Atlantis came along and, you know, we, we ended up getting the, the uh, you know, extension and, and so we didn't do Stargate Command. But I mean, we had Atlantis as, the, as, as our, uh, as a spinoff. So um, it all worked out in the end, I guess. What I guess I'm getting to is, is a chance to speculate with you here for a mm-hmm. minute. Had the show been rebranded? Mm-hmm. Um, is there, in your mind, a greater chance that we would have gotten, instead of a season 9 and 10, and 10 a season 1 and 2 of Stargate Command and potentially 3, 4, and 5, like Atlanta Scott had the show I been rebranded? I would say probably 90% chance that that would have happened. Wow. Now, given... fill, us, fill us in on, if you don't mind, yeah, on the reasons... Why rebranding the show would have done that? Is it a cost thing? Do costs go down when it's a new show? I mean, um, yeah, what, what is cost, the rejuvenation it, it, that it happens? It really depends. I mean, I mean, yeah. If it's if it's a new show, usually if you bring a new a new cast, then those costs for one will go down. If it's a new show, I mean, you know, just across the board, they the costs will go down. But you know, one of the things that we were able to do, for instance, with with Atlantis. Uh, I mean, we shared that uh, village set with Atlantis. Mm. So we were able to, you know, amortize the costs over, you know, several seasons, but across two productions. So that certainly helped. Uh, the more than anything, I think in the case of a of a Stargate Command, if it had gone, um, I think tonally, obviously it was SG-1 and it was very similar to Atlantis, whereas when Universe came in, there, there was kind of a double um, uh, 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 reticence on the part of fans. And, and it, it stemmed from like two things. One was the fact that they believed um, uh, S, uh, SU's pickup had led to the demise of Atlantis. Right. Even though that, that wasn't true, that's what a lot of them thought. And they resented it. They resented the series. So they turned off for that, you know, uh, for those reasons. And if... Obviously, Stargate Command. Stargate Command would have pushed the um, development of universe. The, yeah, the development of universe. So, um, you know, more than likely, those Atlantis fans. I mean, you, you would have kept that probably that Sci-Fi Friday, um, you know, double triple header going, yes. where the two shows would have supported each other, and you know, uh, Stargate Command would have continued on its way. Um, and the other thing was tonally. SG-1 and Atlantis are very different from Universe. Universe was a lot more serious. I think it's a show that, that you know, I, I, I see online people reaching out and saying, like, they really appreciate now. They didn't realize how good it was back then, but now watching it now, they feel like the show was ahead of its time. Precisely. But, you were ahead of but, your time. Yeah, but, but for fans of Stargate, it was a tonal shift that they were unprepared for. Uh, so, I mean, it was, like, two things that 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 kind of shook them and and and... As a result, we ended up bleeding uh, uh, a lot of fans. And in the case of Stargate Command, that wouldn't have been the case. And, and like I said, I'm, I say 90% because you, like, you never know in, 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 in this business. But uh, I think it's, 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 it's 
you know, more than likely in my mind that that we would have gone five seasons. Then we could have done a Stargate universe and, and who knows, maybe universe would have ran for another five seasons. And, and you know, mm-hmm. instead of talking to you now about, about you know, what came before, we'd probably be halfway through our uh, our fourth <laughs> spinoff right now. <laughs> Stargate Hawaii. That's the one that Brad always wanted Stargate to do. Stargate Hawaii. <laughs> that's great. Do you, in hindsight, do you do you think uh, the the Ori Star arc story arc could have lasted five seasons or would you guys have wrapped that up somewhere in the middle and moved on to to um another situation no i think it had legs but i mean the same way that the gold story had legs i mean i think they were they were more um uh present in those early seasons and then you know as you, you kind of build a mythology or as you build more backstory elements you're able to uh, draw from the other elements to tell different stories as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think they, they certainly could have played through the, uh, the show's five-season run. I think one of the advantages of of Universe was you guys short-circuited a lot of problems that you had in terms of, in terms of uh, what is it they say in the magic, the gathering world, like power creep? You know, you have, if, if that's the right term, where you have Asgard beaming technology and you mm-hmm. have, you know, you have these uh, uh, beam weapon, uh, uh, basically the, the, the Asgard uh, lasers and, and everything else at this point. We are, we are really a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are a couple of examples throughout the show where you kind of, you guys kind of, in hindsight, you know, while you're, while you're going along, short-circuited some of those ideas, like three shots disintegrate with the Zat gun. At a certain mm-hmm. point, that just stopped, and it wasn't implied that that didn't do that, that the Zats didn't do that, but that we just weren't going to use it for that anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the the advantage of Universe was completely separating you guys from the situation that you knew and going off into this other direction with nothing but the 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 crates that flew through the Stargate with us right. when we first got to the ship. So it would have been int- my point is it would have been interesting to see how you guys would have handled that going further with with say a Stargate Command and a Stargate Atlantis with yeah, the tech that I, you had. Yeah, you know, it was an ongoing discussion. I remember Ben Browder coming into right. my office one day and you know you got to get rid of that beaming technology. It's just it just makes things too easy and you know we would always have to find work workarounds. You know there was you know whatever the 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 you know the ionic activity in the atmosphere. <laughs> There's made, too much uh, interference. Yeah, the classic exactly. sci-fi trope. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, we were always well aware aware of that. And also the fact, I think we sort of mentioned in a previous episode that, uh, I mean, you could just kind of chalk it up to government bureaucracy. You know, those, you know, the, the, the technology, the alien technology goes into R&D and, and uh, reverse, you know, in terms of reverse engineering, it goes to Area 51 or Area 52. And uh, and then, you know, it's kind of the unions take over and, and oh, sure. people are on lunch breaks or extended lunch breaks. Oh, so-and-so will get back to you. Don't worry. And then they never get back to you. You know, it's a sort of typical government uh, operations. That's great. Well, I mean, how many times do we have to go to Area 51 and say, okay, What's missing? Who didn't yeah. do their job? Here comes SG1. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's funny. Let's go into your uh, uh, season nine episodes without further ado. Right. So the ties that bind mm-hmm. was was your first. Yes, and I I adore this episode. It had 
it it was it was SG1's Wild Goose Chase. Mm-hmm. And there were some fantastic performances in this one. Blessed day. Yes. Blessed day. Yes. I yes. have to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> there were actually so many. It was actually a fun episode. I mean, it's another one of those um, opportunities to write the funny episodes, which I always kind of embraced. And um, and it was just just kind of a lot of fun. I, I, I uh, you know, I, I look back on that episode and, and uh, I, uh, I do remember it fondly, especially with the guest stars, uh, Wallace Shawn. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, I remember we, we reached out to his agent and his agent was like, oh, you know, Wallace is a huge fan of the show. And I was like, oh, he was, well, actually I went down to set and, uh, I went down to, to wardrobe, you know, as usually do, I would go down and, and, you know, if it was my episode, I would just kind of say hello. Up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, welcome to the, to the show. He said, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm like, so I, I hear you're familiar with the show. He's like, oh, I don't even own a television. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh. So, well, I'm sure if he did own a television, Stargate would be one of his favorites. Oh, gosh. Those I think that's agents, what his, man. his agent meant. Yes. Jeez. Because I was mm. getting ready to reach out to his wolf. Yeah. He's a fan of the show. I'll have to dial the gate. He doesn't even have a TV. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh, man. But no, yeah, he was terrific. One of the things that I remember Claudia mentioning when we were on set for season 10 was one of her regrets about a scene that was cut mm-hmm. in... Uh, ties that bind because with what her character was still being built at this point she was still a guest Mm -hmm. star in this season and one one of the things that she had said was we had shot a scene either we had shot a scene you guys had shot a scene or it was in the script that followed up to the scene of wallace sean where it's basically like you know she completely took advantage of this guy Mm -hmm. um and he says all these things that she did, and later on it's like, okay, Vala. And she's like, well, no, it didn't go down that way. I got him very drunk, and I let him believe whatever mm-hmm. he wanted to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, because right now is it comes off that I'm kind of a slut. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, you know, there's only so much time. You can't – I watched scenes yeah. get shot that I was like, oh, I can't wait to see that, and it never made it. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. The uh, that the bracelets got a lot mm-hmm. of mileage out of that first those first mm-hmm. few episodes. I guess that mm-hmm. was the the in story excuse for for keeping her around. Was yeah. it? Um, I always assumed it was a function of Carter not being there that you wanted to have that that fourth team member. But now it it doesn't sound like that was the case. It was just kind of the the happenstance that occurred with Amanda going off and. Yeah, doing family stuff and then coming back in at the same time as yeah, her again, for that one episode. Yeah, again, it was it was just timing, uh, uh, kind of coincidental timing. Absolutely. All right, ex Deus Machina comes mm-hmm. along. Yes, Ball is on Earth. Yes, and we recently yes. lost Cliff, so this is yes. this is a very a very uh, yeah point. Uh, another favorite, just because you know, as I mentioned, Ball was was my favorite um, system lord to write for because he's kind of suave and, and he had kind of that sense of humor and, you know, Cliff was just so good at it. I remember we were, you know, we would, we'd, uh, we'd um, come up with a story idea and, uh, and then the title, we were like, what we should call it is sort of, sort of, you know, Deus Ex Machina. And then we're like, oh, Ex Deus Machina. 
would be even even better because he's kind of a former god. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I was like, oh, you know, we could, you know, if he was a mechanic, we would have called it ex deus mechanic. But uh, <laughs> we call it ex deus machina. I remember, like, for years afterwards, people, I would get, you know, people online would be like, ah, it's deus ex machina, not ex deus machina. Oh, my God. Like, they yes, thought you didn't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, that's the gag. But in any case, you know. <laughs> And uh, again, it was it was another episode that that uh, was atypical. I mean, it it took place, uh, uh, you know, almost all on Earth. I think it was a completely Earth and the Jaffa episode. High Council too. Okay, he was, yeah. he was yeah. infiltrating. Yeah, yeah, that nefarious ball. Yes, yeah. Um, but I mean, and also had uh, you know those flashes of humor, which I always kind of loved in uh, in, in SG One. I think if there were, if it was any go out old, if you could have convinced one of them to kind of settle down on Earth and, you know, become like the next Bill Gates or something mm-hmm. like that, or, or find, you know, his, his way into some of those, those um, uh, political capitalist machinations, it mm-hmm. would have been Ball. You know, it, yeah. depending on some of the people who are on Earth right now operating, you know, I think he would have fit right in. I, I, <laughs> I think we could have gotten a lot of mileage out of that one uh, concept. And I think. Cliff agreed because I, I, I remember him coming up to the offices uh, one one day after reading the, the the script, and he's like, "We could do a spinoff. This could be a spinoff. Ball on Earth." <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, here's here's the thing: if he got his tendrils in uh, mm-hmm. a, a great deal longer, especially with the prevalence of social media today, it would have been very hard for SG One to off him. Because people mm-hmm. would have been like, okay, what happened to this guy? I mean, it would have been like a mm-hmm. Weinstein kind of a situation. It's like, a, where did mm-hmm. this guy go? You know, what happened to him? They would have had to concoct this whole thing to explain mm-hmm. what happened to him. So I really do think, you know, had had you guys messed with that a little bit yeah. further, that that really could have got had some legs. Mm-hmm. I agree. But at a certain point, you got to go back out there into the galaxy and tell some more stories. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the advantages that I really that I really thought was was advantageous about the show about the show being long uh, as long as it was was you being able to tell more earthbound stories as a consequence of the things that happened out in the galaxy mm-hmm. um did did you overall do you overall agree with with that or do you think that our our your business as storytellers was to tell stories that were predominantly out out there no well i mean i, I you know i mentioned this time and again the fact that the great thing about writing for SG-1 is that it allowed us to write a variety of stories. So you can do the scary story. You can do the kind of fantasy uh, story. You can do the more hard sci-fi story. You can do kind of the quirky, more humorous story. Um, and kind of as time went on, we 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 also did, you know, delve into the more kind of Earth-based story. Um, uh, you know, uh, was it Avatar where, where mm. you know, Tilk is is plugged in, you know, moving into his yeah, and but oh, kind of you're moving into uh, his affinity, his, oh, affinity, sorry, yeah, Avatar, where was he's the video he, game. yeah, sorry, affinity, where he's gets his own place yeah. and he's moved in, <laughs> or uh, you know, like this episode, which is a more earth based, or the you know, we kind of shift a little more focus on the NID. Um, you know, I I love that about about SG One, and we we tend to do a little bit more of it in seasons nine and 10, just because, um, you know, I, I, it felt as though we had, we had done so much of those uh, galaxy stories mm. 
in in those first eight seasons and and it was just kind of fun to do something new and, and I mean we had established the NID so why not follow through and 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 um you know give them some some mileage as well makes sense I remember being in the uh oh the writer's room in uh season nine when you guys were in production mm-hmm. and uh on the whiteboard says fourth horseman and Orlin. And I remember turning to Darren saying, guess who they're bringing back. I hope they get <laughs> Sean, you know, cause he was terrific. Yeah. Uh, you wrote part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bring Donna Davis back yes. for a brief cameo. It was always warm and to, to see, it warmed my heart to see him back on. Mm-hmm. Tell us about, that kind of of story because it was rare that we had the stories that would have impacted our world because you wanted to make it very much like this could be happening right now. Mm-hmm. So the more that we tell about like our world, like the like things that are hap- that could be happening to us, the less it's saying. And I know this wasn't the reason, but this was always like the, the kind of thing that it was ha- that I was thinking was, well, that's not happening to me, so it's definitely somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. there's only so much that you can do in our world, but this one topically full-blown pandemic you yeah. know who knows how many millions died tell us mm-hmm. about the fourth horseman yeah i mean you know th- th- that was our our mid-season two-parter i believe and so mm-hmm. you know like in like any uh, uh season you want to go big in that mid-season two-parter and i just remember um it was a tough two-parter i remember especially for some reason in the editing room um this episode was a real challenge. Um, and, but I mean, again, I mean, I, I love these high stakes type of stories. Um, I, mean, I think it was like Lou Gossett Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, was it Cameron? Cameron Bright. Bright yeah. Sean Patrick. Plays, who who was, was great. And, uh, you know, I just love that, that ending where, where Sam goes to visit him and, uh, you know, in an old He's, folks home. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Where are the kids? Yeah. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> well, absolutely yeah. it is. You know, yeah. I mean, that was it. Uh, so I imagine Sean was offered it originally and either he turned it down or there was a conflict and you guys had to re. The, yeah, there was a conflict. And so we had to get creative with, uh, you know, how we would bring the character back. And so we did. Yeah. It's yeah. it's so it's a question of do you do we want to just create a new ancient or create a new circumstance or do mm-hmm. we want to leverage the um pre-existing relationship, which correct. is what we really kind of wanted to do. Yeah. And it's one of those kind of situations where it's like he's a kid now, mm-hmm. but he still has those feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's like it was an it was an interesting approach. I mean, there, you, you have to yeah. I, hats hats off on on yeah. the the tap dance that you guys had to do around mm-hmm. the fact that you know um, I'm here because I love you and I'm here because I'm going to save you. But mm-hmm. and Sam's going, yeah, I I, I care about you too, twelve <laughs> year old boy. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh. 
Oh yeah. What's funny was Cameron Bright was in a film called Birth, which had those yes, that's very what similar gets, elements. He, he gets in the bathtub with a Nicole Kidman. Correct, and that created yeah. a whole yeah. thing at the time. So this, this, yeah. that I, I'm sure that there were, there were, um, yeah. in his mind at least, references back to that kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but uh, a, a great send off for Orlin. It was a character that I did not yeah. expect to see again, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know uh, what. A send-off for Lou Gossett Jr. What was it like having Lou Gossett Jr. in season nine? I think it would have made a, a great Landry. Yeah, yeah, actually. In in fact, I think we considered him as a possible uh as a possible Landry. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been but, interesting to have yeah. to have them kind of switch, to have Bo Bridges as kind of a um a um a Jaffa or, or, or some other figure. I remember in this mm-hmm. this season when we when we had come up, um, a few people had made the comment. You know, we've we've really we we really are taking advantage of our our success at this point because so many of these heavy hitters want to do long arcs with our show. You know, mm-hmm. it, they people have people out there. These these like like Mel Harris being one. You know, her that have have family members who love the show, mm-hmm. and and some of these these um, more seasoned actors are in a position now where they can they can do what they want, and yeah. they want to do things that their family loves and watches. Yes, yes. And I was always amazed by who we we ended up getting. Like not only who we ended up getting, but also who were fans of the show. Uh, like uh, we mentioned, Wayne Brady, who, yes. um, who you know, when I walked down to uh, welcome him to the show, just totally zoned me, you know, just tuned me out because he was so in awe of the Jaffa uh, costume that he was wearing. And um, Isaac Hayes oh. was another uh, longtime fan who uh, who appeared on the show, which was also great. Yeah, there was there was a lot of a lot of good fortune with this with this mm-hmm. series, Ripple Effect. Oh yeah, this is actually one of my favorite episodes. Yes, it's, it's one of my favorite episodes because uh, I remember when I wrote the outline. At this point, Paul and I were kind of writing our, our script separately because he tended to to write more of the um, to do uncredited rewrites on on other scripts, um, which didn't pay. And I tended to do more of the originals, which did pay. So we, but, you know, in fairness, made it work. We, we ended up, yeah. Yeah. And so I wrote the outline for Ripple Effect. And there's a point in the script where the uh, AU uh, team captures our team. And there has to be a reversal of some, of some sort. And I had no idea what the reversal would, would be. And I just wrote to be decided. And usually between the time when I complete the outline and the time when I start the script, I usually get that figured out, but I didn't. And as I was writing the script and I was getting closer to that reversal, I had no idea what, how it was going to turn out. And it's kind of scary. It's basically, it's like, you know, walking that tightrope without the safety net because mm. you don't know. I mean, you could end up there and just get stuck and not have an answer. Um, and he, as, as, often will happen when I'm writing for the most part, usually it's not always the case. Uh, it magically happened. 
and I say magically because you know I want to say oh it's because I'm 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 very skilled and you know I'm creative and everything, uh, but I have really no explanation for <laughs> how honestly how suddenly the idea came to me, and I was able to sort of work it out and come up with that reversal. But I mean I just you know alternate universe stories are such mm. a a sci-fi chestnut, but I love those chestnuts because if you can find a way to give them a different spin, you know, there's that familiarity that fans really love. But at the same time, if you can sort of subvert expectations, you know, it makes it all that more special. I mean, I'm talking specifically for sci-fi fans. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it was fun. And then we brought back Terrell, we brought back uh, Martouf, you know. Yeah. You know, speaking back to, you know, where, where you you kind of hit a wall, you know, you, and you had mentioned an episode or two ago where you had, like, spent um, a lot of time tooling with, with the script, and then it kind of all just kind of laid itself out to your surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think your subconscious really is working the, the these problems when you're not even aware of it, because like, like mm-hmm. we've talked about, like, your, your brain is kind of always on story mode, even yeah. when you're at dinner. So. Yeah, but usually that's more overt. Yeah, I mean, okay. I know when I'm on story mode. <laughs> yeah. When are you not on story mode? Yes. <laughs> Hunting for ideas. Yeah. I love the episode because, right, it subverts a lot of expectations. It it um uh it takes the the broader universe of the shows, both shows, into consideration because mm-hmm. they're they're attempting to go to Atlantis. The mm-hmm. and wow, when after the episode aired, you kind of went online and revealed, okay. Go back and watch it again and recognize that the bad guys are in black <laughs> and our good guys are in green. You know, so so bad is black. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you can kind of tell it from that way. Just the kind of little uh, there, tidbits that, that yeah, play into there were, that. There were so many in-jokes in that episode. And I kind of feel, feel bad because uh, there were a bunch of scenes that um, I ended up deleting for yeah. time. That and I think I, I posted uh, a bunch of those scenes on my blog. Yeah, and I think there was like an interview scene with Daniel where he interviews. I'm not sure if that actually made the episode where the 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 the, in, the Daniel he interviews is like first season Daniel effectively who has like you know the uh, what is it the um, uh, the allergies. For instance, that, oh, that, that didn't make it. That, that that Daniel original Daniel had that somehow disappeared. Uh, over time or, or kind of a, a fear of heights or I, I don't know, but, <laughs> but, but I went, you know, the, the, that episode, it just, I, I love AU episodes for that reason that you can actually pepper it with kind of those throwaway gags that, that, that regular, uh, that, that first time viewers may not notice, but regular fans will appreciate. It's one of the things that the dangers though, that Rob Cooper actually brought this up to us in a recent interview where when you um when you when you do exercise alternate reality uh, uh episodes uh teal brought the point up in season 3 ours is the only reality of consequence you know when you mm-hmm. know that there are an infinite number of janet frasers out there in the uh the broader cosmic space you mm-hmm. know and martoofs as well uh you take the risk of of our janet frasers death our mm-hmm. martoofs death being less significant what do you do you do you agree? Oh, do you disagree? Yeah, I I kind of disagree. Okay. I kind of disagree in in that 
she's she was very much our Janet Fraser, and even if you know there was that other Janet Fraser who came in, and and there was that kind of you know moment between her and 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 uh, was it Carter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, really, I don't think it reson- resonated as strongly with the with the audience because in their mind, it's not it's not her. Uh, yeah, it's not her. It's sort of like you know when we talk about. Uh, Mobius. Mm. One of the things that we seemed to irk uh, the fans was that last line where, where <laughs> O'Neill says "close enough" to the fish, and the implication is that you know things have changed. Yeah, things have changed, or this is not our you know our our team. It's a gag. Um, it's a Simpsons reference. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I think they were always fishing that. So, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean. There, there's always kind of this this line with with Rick, with with O'Neill especially that you know mm-hmm. you can't tell how much of what he's saying he's just full of shit, you yes. know. Yeah. Th- there is a certain element of that, and I, that's how I took it. There were always fish in the yeah. pond. Um, the scourge. Hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Again, another Our fun episode, fine. but. You know, we got to bring back uh, one of my favorites, uh, Robert Picardo. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of my single favorite uh, moments in uh, in, in uh, season eight is that moment where basically he just books it and just kind of like charges past uh, everyone at the uh, you know the first sign of uh, danger. <laughs> the man could take off, even yeah. even uh, he's fifty some odd years old and he's sprinting yeah. past the soldiers. Yeah. that yeah. was really funny. Um, yeah, a, a visual effects heavy episode, I would have to imagine as well. Do you, th- do you think yeah. that, um, the bugs were, uh, came off to your satisfaction? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, in the original version, it was like a carpet of bugs mm. that would just kind of swarm and, and the visual effects team was, just told me like, there's no way we'll be able to afford it. So we made them kind of burrow. Subterranean. I see. So that was why they were. You know, there was a little bit of a, uh, what is that, tremors uh, right. feel to them. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, and we also introduced uh, Tamlin Tamita as Shen, yes. who would come back later on as yes. a foil for yeah. uh, One of my Ricardo. favorite uh, Stargate Atlantis episodes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tamlin was great. Tamlin is great. It made you wonder how many sites were out there because that was, I guess that was Gamma Site. It mm-hmm. really had suggested that we are we had really spread our wings, you know, yeah. into the larger galaxy with a def- bunch of different sites that we weren't even really aware of. Yes, yes. So. And in my mind, there were plenty of them out there. Absolutely, Camelot. Mm. There is no magic involved. <laughs> <laughs> so I had yeah. sat at Stargate yeah. Worlds mm-hmm. with the marketing team. Mm-hmm. And watch the guys in my group watch the show. Mm-hmm. It was one of the guys in this group was not a fan of the franchise. Mm-hmm. But that gag, especially when it happens the second time, he mm-hmm. laughed out loud and he turned to me and he said, This is the first time that I've laughed at this show. And mm-hmm. that was funny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, A, great. But but B, how sad. Yeah. <laughs> but I always like I mean this is this is a great episode. Um you guys 
went to town with this one. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. John Noble, great yeah. guest actor. I really, really wish that he had been given a part that would have allowed him for some meat uh, in mm-hmm. season 10. Mm-hmm. Um, because he is terrific. And I wouldn't yes. like to say that he was wasted with this character. It was certainly wonderful to see him, but I would love to have seen him again. Tell us yeah. tell us about Camelot. Um, Book ending season nine. Here yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking about this just the other day because I, I did a, 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 a tweet uh, thread uh, titled Finales I Have Wrought. And because I, I, I look back on, on and... and you know, I'm amazed by, I've written a lot of finales. Yeah. Uh, and this is actually one of my favorites. And what I always love to do in the finales is uh, separate and conquer or divide and conquer. And I mean, by separating the characters and they're all doing their same, you know, their, 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 their own thing. And then in the climax, it all goes sideways for all of them in different, you know, horrible ways. Uh, and, you know, just that, 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 you know, l- lonely shot of Carter floating in space, watching it all go down and, and sort of being totally helpless. You know, I just, that's one of the images that really kind of stuck with me more than anything uh, uh, in that particular episode. But I just remember also, it was one of those crazy episodes where we were dealing with, um, Vancouver's classic weather issues mm. where it, you know, it rained and then it was dry and then it rained <laughs> and, and the visual effects team had to kind of do their magic. I remember a friend of ours, um, Ross Hull, who was working at the weather network. Uh, he was an actor. He was a former actor who actually worked with us on, 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 on a show called student bodies. Uh, he was an anchor for, for the weather network. And he reached out and was like, Hey, I want to do a, you know, a, a feature on you guys shooting in Vancouver. And and so that was the episode we ended up featuring. Oh. And, you know, there was this market scene and it rained. And so actually it worked to our benefit because I, I think there's there's that scene where where Mitchell is kind of rolling around in the, right. in the mud. And it works because it had rained that day. That's right. So, yeah. You know, I, I, it's one of those things about, such a, a precarious location as Vancouver is, you're, you're going to have rain on a near constant basis. And you can watch the episodes, especially the, the earlier episodes uh, of the show with, with in terms of, I guess, I guess not necessarily the earlier, but you can watch SG one and see from shot to shot. This side has rain. This mm-hmm. angle does not, you know, mm-hmm. you had to do the best you can. And yeah. just hope that yeah. with you know with post production with with kind of coloring and everything else that you can you can make it as subtle as possible, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just one of those difficult situations that you got to work with. Yep. So yeah. the episode was a powerhouse for the in house visual effects department. Mm-hmm. You guys had uh, built this team up over a few years. And I don't know if they asked for or were handed the final sequence, but someone had said, we can do this. And mm. that whole sequence, that whole end sequence was done by them. And I just remember you guys being absolutely blown away by uh, how well it had been pulled off. Yeah. Because a lot of the, so uh, one of the things to understand for, for listeners is that, 
you know, you farmed out a lot of the content to facilities like Image Engine and Rainmaker at the time, but you yeah. guys also had your own internal team as well yeah. on site at Bridge. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in the later seasons, we ended up just exclusively using our internal uh, team. We, we built up that, that visual effects department and, you know, I, you know, we, we had, you know, James Titchener was mm. our, our original visual effects supervisor. And then he handed off to Michelle Cummins and then uh, Mark Savella. Um, and, and I, I just kind of remember at the beginning, it was very much that we would, uh, farm the visual effects out to vendors and our visual effects supervisor would be up to him to sort of, you know, being the savvy individual, uh, they were to know, um, you know, this visual effects house is really good at zap blasts. And, and this one is very good at, 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 at ships and, and, and kind of divvy up the work uh, that way. But as kind of time went on, we began to realize it would make more sense to create our own in-house team. And we ultimately did. They were housed on the lot in this, you know, kind of rickety brick building <laughs> that uh, they would evacuate at the first, you know, tremble, uh, you know, uh, of a potential earthquake. Uh, but I remember actually going to visit with them there. It was actually very homey. We'd watch, you know, they'd usually come come to, to, to the offices and bring us the visual effects, but sometimes we'd go there and, and you know, they'd uh, run through it and, and just an amazing, amazing team. Again, you know, in the later seasons, it was it was Mark Savella and I remember Kristen McLean who used to do the most amazing match shots and, mm. you know, phones yeah. and the gang. Those shots of destiny. You know, mm. later on in in that franchise, man, oh man, some of those visuals, especially with it flying through the the gas giant in darkness, that yeah. was so cool, yeah. man. Yeah, beautiful. You guys really beautiful. had it going. Yeah, it's it's amazing because I, I, you know, I ended up watching or actually rewatching Universe with uh, my wife Akemi, and she loved it. She was amazed. She was like, "How long was the show?" You know, and the visual effects really hold up. Yep. Yeah. And then yeah. we get to the end of it, and we're going to carve your heart out with a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Joel we'll Goldsmith's music plays. We'll and yes, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Camelot, just a great show, you know, all around. And it, it it was really one of those where it was like, you know, if you were new to the franchise, you get to the end of it. Everyone, it, half half the cast is potentially dead. You know, mm-hmm. executive producers comes over the screen. It's like that's it. Like yeah, that's it. <laughs> My favorite kinds of finales absolutely we'll deal with how they escaped in next episode but until then let's leave them with this and you know originally with beachhead in season uh nine earlier Mm -hmm. on in the season your plan was for the ships to come through and then Mm -hmm. at some point a decision was made let's let's keep this to the end of the year yes yeah 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 i think it worked out in everyone's favor because it, it built up the anticipation I think exactly better exactly so for sure fan questions oh yeah let's do it let's see what we have here all right william aarons joe could you discuss how the change in adversaries seems to literally go from gold snakes in the edenic gardens of the milky way to the ascended fallen angels that were the ori i haven't thought of it that way yeah, well, that's interesting, and that would be actually more of a question for Robert Cooper okay. because he's the one who actually came up with the idea of the uh, the Ori. 
and he was also responsible for the ancients. So correct, very much along those lines. All right. Yeah. Um. Interesting. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of me would be like, "Do we do we really want to go here?" And I think you know what? Let's do it. Let's. I'm interested yeah. to see what your kind of response okay. is because occasionally this comes. up. You must be thinking, "Oh God, what's he going to say?" Uh, occasionally, this does come up um, in uh, the the online forums, even today. Yeah. Uh, with the use of uh, other cultures' uh, deities, mm-hmm. was there ever any talk? about bringing any, uh, well, Jesus as an ascended being. I heard this a lot. And yeah. there was, there was uh, zero talk. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, was it no. just too close no. to home? Or because, I mean, you used, you used gods from all sorts of different backgrounds. So, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, a fair, it's a fair point. And it's just- yeah, I, yeah, I would say, um, I mean, I think most of the gods uh, that we we explored on the show, I mean, you know, were are no longer sort of revered. I see. In kind of a, a, a sort of contemporary capacity. So I mean, like the Egyptian gods, um, you know, the Roman gods, mm. um, you know. I so um, you know, it, it it was not. To be honest with you, it's not even something we discussed. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, and dismissed. It was just something we never. I mean, also, considered. I mean, if if they were if if they were captured, if these humans were captured like five thousand years ago, I mean, these mm-hmm. these would not have been contemporary deities anyway. You right. know, these would have been the ones that lasted that were existed around that time. Exactly. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, Tracy, I've been following mm-hmm. your blog. Thank you. And- <laughs> Was wondering if you were able to share anything further about the horror genre pitch you're working on. Uh, let's see which one. I've got <laughs> right? One. No, seriously, I've got. I've yeah. got a couple. I've got a. I've got a horror script that is out now, and I've got a a um, kind of a small town horror um, series that I've 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 uh, developed with uh, my friend Tara Tara Yelland, um, and it's. Um, how would I describe it? I, I describe it as, I guess, um, the haunting of Hill House meets Paper Moon. Are you familiar with Paper Moon? Very much so. Great. Yeah, movie. I, actually, I, I loved it. It's 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 Ryan and Tatum O'Neill, right. father and daughter, who play father and daughter con artists, <laughs> uh, and uh, and it's that. I mean, it's 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 horror, but there's humor, and it, you know, it's one of those those pitches that. Um, you know, it's not like super visceral horror. It's it's more really kind of slow burn, kind of creepy, okay. uh, more ghostly supernatural horror. Um, and it's one of those scripts that actually has gotten a lot of love from different places, yet not enough love to put it into development. Like because oh, okay. whenever we send it out, people always want to sort of have a discussion with us to okay. talk to talk about it, and 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 it just hasn't gone anywhere yet. But. Uh, I mean, who knows what the future holds? It, it, it was the same deal with with Dark Matter, you know, where it wasn't getting a lot of love, and I thought the project was dead, and then suddenly we were heading into production. So mm. hopefully that's the case with this or one of the other projects. Well, best of luck, absolutely. Thank you. Let's see here. Thanks for asking. Oh, Tracy also wanted to know uh, any any mm. books that you recommend. One of your favorite books that you recommend for summer reading? Oh man, you know, I used to be. 
say, I hate to say this, such an avid reader. And I would go through like a hundred books uh, a year, at least a hundred books a year. Wow. And then last year during the pandemic, uh, or the lockdown, I figured I would have more free time to read, but I didn't read a lot. And I have been reading a lot lately. And I've been trying to figure out what it is, why I just can't bring myself to read as much anymore. And to be honest, I think it's when I'm in production and, um, you know, I, I can sort of carve out free time for myself. I, I know what has to be done and I complete the work and then anything after that is free time. Mm. Uh, when I'm not in production, I feel guilty not writing or not mm. working on something. So uh, reading as a leisure activity feels like kind of an all too guilty pleasure. So, right. It, it, you know, it, you know, even though in my mind, I, I try to sort of justify reading as kind of research for potential IPs, which, which, which they are, but in terms of a sort of a, a, uh, a reading recommendation, a summer book, um, you know, uh, some of my favorites include uh, Jeanette Wall's The Glass Castle, um, um, uh, so Jonathan Tropper's uh, This Is How I, I Leave You, um, Karen J. Fowl, uh, Fowler, uh, We Are Completely Beside Ourselves, uh, get get these down. Uh, <laughs> David David Benioff, ah. one of the one of the uh, uh -huh. showrunners of uh, of Game of Thrones. Actually, I read his novel City of Thieves before way before uh, he he did Game of Thrones, and it's like one of my favorite novels. It's 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 really what's it's the genre? Um, it's it's the story of two. Um, it, it's it's during World War. World War II, I believe, it was World War II uh, in, in Russia oh. and a deserter and um, another soldier are basically arrested and brought together and they are, in tr they, they are given the task of finding two dozen eggs for the wedding of this general's daughter. And apparently it's a story that, that is kind of based on Debbie Benioff's like a grandfather's uh, mm. uh, um, uh, story. And it's, it's, you know, and, and it's at a time sort of like where, where no one has anything and, and being able to track down a dozen eggs be next to impossible. They have to do it in one night or they'll be executed. Uh, and it's a really, it's, it's a great story because it has like, like a sense of humor, which is something like, you know, all of these books have is mm. kind of that under uh, current of a uh, kind of sense of humor. Um, so that um, there's a Rosie project. Um, what was his name? Was it Simpson? Simeon was, was the author. And then there was another book, which is kind of like atypical. It's called Dear Committee Members. Um, and it's a, and, and it's just a series of, of emails or letters written by this professor at this liberal arts college whose career is going uh down the drain and so he's 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 trying to keep sort of like a stiff upper lip and sort of like keep it like very upbeat but all his letters is this kind of passive aggressive <laughs> almost like sadness about it and it's like it's like a, a really darkly humorous uh book and so i, I unfortunately I don't recall the uh the um uh, the author's name but dear committee members another one if you like thrillers you know, I love Gone Girl. I love uh, Gone Girl you. Is good. 
Julie you Schumacher is, is, is Dear Committee Members. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gone Girl. That was an excellent film. Yeah. So, Tracy, you got your you got your reading program right. for you. <laughs> to it. Jeremy, I'm a huge fan of Camelot. It has to be one of the my favorite space battles. Can you tell us a bit about how the battle at the Supergate came to be and why the Ori warships were pretty much untouchable until unending? Well, I mean, we wanted to create a formidable opponent. And so, I mean, you, as you said, you sort of build and build and build towards that confrontation. And then you have the payoff. And, you know, you, you're hopelessly outmatched. And, and, and so basically you, you build up and, and, and you have that showdown. Um, but, you know, in, in presenting a, 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 a villain that, or, or opponent that is so formidable, mm. um, that it just almost like seems hopeless. Mm. You you set up like such sort of a, a hill to climb, uh, both you know sort of in terms of our characters, but also creatively for us uh, in 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 season ten. I mean, I mean that's what you always want is sort of like a, a battle against um, a a far greater foe, and so that's what we did with, with Camelot. I mean, you know, after like a full season of building, we pay it off. And uh, and in kind of a very shocking fashion. Yeah, I mean, we we lost one ship uh, just mm-hmm. a few episodes before, and then we lose another one. Not to mention mm-hmm. every pretty much everyone else in this fleet. It mm-hmm. was intense, you know, and you 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 were definitely striking a a hopeless note for sure. Mm-hmm. Teresa, Joe, are you a food connoisseur of sorts? <laughs> I I would not say you know. Uh, Don S. Davis, when we used to go out, would claim he he was not a gourmet; he was a gourmand. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, the distinction being that I mean, he just appreciated food, mm. and and as, as do I. I have to say, my wife has a much more discerning palate than I do. She will be able to pick up the different ingredients in a plate, whereas I just simply uh, enjoy food. I was actually just tweeting today the fact that. Uh, you know, maybe I enjoy a little too much, so I basically cut down to, to two desserts a day. Um, but chocolate doesn't count. Chocolate basically is kind of like you can have whenever you want, but only two desserts a day. And so I'm going to see if I can stick with it and, and see how it uh, how there it goes. There you go. So, Were yeah. your chocolate parties only during Stargate uh, Stargate's production, or, or did you continue them after? Um, no, no, it was only during Stargate. I, you know, during every Stargate. every year I would import chocolates from all over the world. And we would, you know, I would shut down a restaurant and uh, invite like uh, 40 members of the cast and mm-hmm. you know, producers and people I'd work with. And, and we would have a meal. The restaurants would serve us a meal. And then afterwards, you know, we would just eat an insane amount of chocolate. And <laughs> Kenny, my wife, uh, she bemoans the fact that, you know, she was never able to attend my chocolate party because I only, you know, I, I they ended before I met her. So right. maybe someday. Maybe someday. Yeah, bring it back once we're out of this yeah. mess. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Goran Andonowski, whose idea was it in creating and writing uh, Ripple Effect? So who came up with the nugget of the idea? And was it, it good to see Terrell back on SG-1? Yeah, I, I think Brad came up with the nugget of the idea of... 
I'm sure it was Brad or maybe his daughter actually pitched him an idea. And it was, <laughs> it was, I think, SG1 stepping to, through the gate and and it was the SGC or wasn't the SGC or maybe it wasn't SG1. I don't know. But it, it was just a seed of an idea. And so we kind of, you know, took that and, and, and ran with it. Um, and then, of course, it was great seeing Terrell. I mean, I, you know, I did miss her. And that's why I, I wrote the scene uh, with her. Or the, sort of her, 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 her dog used to play with my uh, jelly all the time back in the day. So sweet. Yeah. I remember JR, you know, he, we were supposed to have him back for Summit. And it was a scheduling conflict. Yeah. So I always felt like we were kind of robbed of his, like, proper ending. You know, I was yeah. always curious as to see what Summit and Last Stand, which for the longest time were, were my favorite episodes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would have been like with him in them, how the story would oh, have gone. Probably even better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Um, I, I do want to run a point past you uh, mm-hmm. before we move on from that that I meant to bring up with Ripple Effect. One of the things that Rob was talking about uh, when we had him on was that for the longest time in the beginning – you had you had uh, difficulty. I don't know if it was with studio executives or just other people in in general. Tr- difficulty trying to get a, the point across of what the Stargate did in the beginning of the show. Was it a time travel device? Was it an interdimensional device? It's like no, it's just a door from one place to the other. And so as the show got on, you know, you started doing other things with it that people would have thought originally that it did when at the beginning of the show we're like no this is not what it does but Mm -hmm. at a certain point you have to add other capabilities or other situations on because the material at a certain point just require that the story requires that you that you go other places i mean you know the the two classic sci-fi tropes are alternate parallel worlds and time travel Mm. and you know we you know, we, you want to introduce that into 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 our world, but and yet on the other hand, you know, you don't want to introduce another device. You already had a very cool device that right. does something similar. So really, all you have to do is find a way for your original d- device to do it. As a result of what solar flares? Is it you know some sort of uh, I, you know I, I, I'm not sure. I mean. Uh, radioactive activity, something yeah. you find, you know, you use the, you know, the device you have. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, that, that's, that's what we did with ripple effect. That makes sense. Akos, was there any consideration in moving Shen to destiny instead of Camilla Ray? What was the likelihood that they knew each other? Um, what was, was, was Tamlin in consideration for SGU or were you wanting to create a new IOA member? That's no, interesting. That, that, yeah, no, that, that's, I guess, more of a question for Brad and Robert. I think they wanted to create a new character uh, for, I mean, I, I love, I, I, like I said, I love Tamlin. I think she's an incredibly uh, uh, talented actress. Um, but I think Brad and Robert just wanted to create a, a, a new character for the, uh, for the new series. I think Ming did not have... I think that I, th- I think that given more seasons of the show, she would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I, I th- there was she definitely not, not to say that she was shortchanged in seasons one and two, which I don't think that she was. But I think that there was so much potential for that character that we didn't but get to see. I, I, I think 
also the difference between her and the Shen character, the Shen is very much a, um, I would say a bureaucrat, but very much a, a confident official. Whereas um, Ray was a civilian and really more, I think, grounded mm. uh, as, as, you know, kind of more of an eye, you know, eyes in character for, for, for audiences at home. And I think that's why they, uh, they, 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 they wanted to go with that character. I thought uh, Ming did, did uh, a wonderful job. I find her, her character like incredibly warm. Mm-hmm. And that, that is sort of obviously uh, owing to, to Ming's performance. Absolutely. And so she can have a jaded edge at the same time, you know, yeah. depending on yeah. who she's dealing with. So Chantel, uh, was there ever, I haven't considered this, was there ever any consideration of writing Amanda Tapping's uh, pregnancy into the series? Uh, No, I mean, I try to think back to to that time and how did it work with, with, with Claudia? I think she was not pregnant but we wrote a pregnancy into the for a character, and then, and then she became pregnant. Really? And then we were shooting around that. Uh, she was very pregnant, and and yeah. <laughs> when yeah. she comes back in Crusade. Yeah, and then wh- wh- when was uh, Rachel pregnant? Was it season four? Rachel was pregnant in season four. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it wasn't really around the, the kind of the same time. Where, mm. uh, Amanda's was first. No, I, I think. One of the reasons why we didn't want to do it was then it would kind of open up a can of worms as to sort of like, I didn't want, um, I was kind of more, it, it was no secret, I was more kind of a, the Jack Sam shipper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, if she was got pregnant, then it would either mean A, uh, she was having a, a, a relationship with, with, uh, with her superior officer, which would have been frowned upon. Really by the B, Air Force, yeah. Yeah, or B... Uh, it would have been with a Pete's baby, and then, you know, that would have given more weight to that relationship. So, you know, those are two reasons why, uh, very good reasons why not to write it into the show. Anyway. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's fair. So, mm-hmm. um, let's see here. I lost my place. Goran Anowski. Mm-hmm. Who did you find an easier time writing for, Ben or Rick, as leads? I mean, to be honest with you, you know, Rick was, I think, the, you know, throughout SG-1, he was the easiest character to write for because he had that kind of everyman (laughs) sense of humor that, you know, he just loved to write for. Um, so definitely Rick, not just Rick in comparison to, 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 uh, O'Neill in comparison to Cameron Mitchell, but really O'Neill in comparison to any other character on SG-1. That's fair. Rachel Baker. I forgot about this. Hmm. Mitchell, when the time comes, cut Cut the the green green wire. Yeah, that was actually, that's the last, uh, uh, thing that alternate, um, Cameron Mitchell tells our, our Mitchell before he leaves through the gates at the end of Ripple Effect. And I remember actually finishing up the script and Damien Kindler, who was one of the writers on the staff, he's like, you know what he should say? Cut the green one. And I'm like, 
I like that. And so basically I included it in the script and, you know, to this day, people, you know, continue to ask me. Uh, and of course, the way sort of alternate realities play out. Correct. Um, he never had the opportunity to be presented with a situation, uh, you know. Right. Because it's not, now. he's not from the, yeah. from the future. He's yeah. from, yeah, yeah. parallel. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's still an interesting mind screw. I mean, yes. what he's doing yeah. to him is it's like, yeah. okay. What does that, I mean, yeah. does he want him to get, because clearly, yeah. you know, they're pissed. Yeah. So, yeah, that I, I loved that little thing. I was just like, yeah. you know what, the, the little things like that, that mm-hmm. keeps you coming back. Uh, Eva was, uh, in Ripple Effect, was there any cut scene between Janet and Sam? I always thought that there should uh, have been their own scene similar to Martouf and Sam. That could have been a two-parter for just fan service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible. I would have to actually go through my blog. If you go go through my blog and do a search for ripple effect, um, you'll probably come up with one of the yeah uh, um, one of the entries where I I I posted a bunch of the uh, deleted scenes and and maybe 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I I I think I remember something something around Mm -hmm. that time being the case. Mm. Um, Jeremy, and in your mind, what became of the the children of the Ori, the people, after season ten and Arc of Truth? Um, did the Supergate remain? Uh, did they did they the ones the soldiers in our galaxy retreat back to theirs? Um, what, yeah, are your, what are your thoughts on how it panned out? Everybody went home, yeah. resumed their lives, and they've uh, you know they went on to become productive members of the respective society. <laughs> <laughs> beloved beloved productive members strike force alpha do you think that the next stargate should use unreal 5 um like yeah, mandalorian and all I these mean, others yeah i i think you know absolutely in terms of sort of like establishing those alien settings mm-hmm. i think the only knock against uh unreal engine is um that they serve as amazing back backgrounds, but they're they're not interactive. Yeah. So um, I mean, you're still going to be building interactive set set elements. I mean, but that's a kind of a small, you know, price to pay when when you 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 know you're able to create that alien world look. I mean, people would had that when we were on. You know, oh my SG1. gosh! Just imagine. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, when S- looks we could have achieved absolutely when SG four comes about, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I, I can't wait to see the uh, the taking advantage of, of the visual effects. Now, I mean, just once upon a time, you mm-hmm. know, it was 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 one of my favorite shows, a, a Disney soap opera, if there ever was, and they mm-hmm. used set extensions all the time for the mm-hmm. fantasy world from season mm-hmm. one. To season seven or eight, whenever the show ended, it is a marked difference in technology, yeah. and I mean, it, with the amount of time that SG One, you know, that Stargate's been off the air, I mean, I can't yeah. imagine what it's going to go looking from SGU to SG Four. It's going to yeah. be a trip. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, thank you for listening to my rambling no, and, this was, and uh, coming always on. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always a, a pleasure fun. to have you. And there's going to be. Um, uh, a lot more to come. So next month we're going to be going into season 10 and closing out SG one. So wow. thank you for coming on and joining us once again. Thanks for having me.
Absolutely, sir. You take care of yourself, and I'll be in touch, all right? All right. Be well, Joe. Have a, have a good night. Have and a great you, weekend. Sir. And you, sir. Bye-bye. Joseph Malazzi, executive producer and writer of Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. But he's been joining us uh, every month to cover one season of the uh, the franchise. And now we're going to be moving on to uh, uh, season 10 with the month of May. Just trucking right along. I have some fan questions submitted. Questions and comments regarding the concept art episode. Can we buy any of these? These are not commercially available. These are ones that that I acquired while I was during uh, involved in in the production of the show, and I, I hang on to them. Basically, when I die, you know, MGM is going to get them all back. Though MGM already has has copies of all of them, <laughs> so I, I hang on to them um, just as you know. I, I bought a lot of them through. Uh, the various auctions that we've had, but I just I mainly hang on to them as a as a production resource. Uh, Easy Sparky, did you work as part of the Stargate production crew? I did not, just as a journalist. Uh, will you be doing a room tour of your props? I I will show the house uh, at a certain point here, um, probably. I don't know when yet, but um, there there is there there are props and and uh, art pieces and uh, more of these dudes throughout the house he's one of four uh so yes uh do another concept art video a lot of people are requesting yes all right we will so, okay so we will go into season two i think i'm going to combine season two and three um and so because there were 17 seasons 17 rounds of concept art uh i will um I think I'm going to do the, the first one was like a test of season one. And then the rest, I'll do another eight episodes of two seasons each. I think that that's my plan. My hope is in, is to entice James C.D. Robbins to join us once we hit season six. And so we'll see where that goes. Uh, Michelle Palmer, are you are, and Joe going to do the same kind of discussion for Atlantis? Yes. So next month we're going to do SG-1 season 10. And then is that that's May. And then June, we'll be starting on Atlantis Season 1. So Joe is in for the long haul, spending every month uh, covering one uh, season of the series. Questions and comments from the Carl Binder episode. People are asking to have Carl Binder back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will definitely have him back. Uh, Raj, I want to know... Is, what I want to know is how... They came up with the idea for Destiny to have AI but not included in Atlantis. Plus, why not have Atlantis have a solar power collector technology as well? That's fair. Um, my guess, and this is just a guess, is that Destiny did not have AI. Um, I think that we were thinking that it was, but it was actually the the uh, solar system builders. That is my hunch from everything that I've watched Brad and Rob and all of them do is that it wasn't destiny at all. It was this alien race 
making everyone think that it was destiny. Because the same thing happens with with TJ. Um, she's thinking that she's receiving visions, you know, at the beginning of of season two of her baby, and then you know they they ascertain that it's it's destiny doing what they have to do to keep the crew healthy. I'm thinking it's the alien race. The other option is that you know destiny uh, was because it's so old, you know, it's it predates all the other technology. It, it doesn't make sense for for destiny to have that kind of knowledge uh, or that that kind of technology like AI uh, when Atlantis didn't have really that kind of a its own kind of essence its own kind of being the other option is that as it traveled throughout the universe and accumulated knowledge it became self-aware that's the other option but i really think that the obelisk planet builders i really think that they were they were playing a bigger role in the show than we actually uh, were led to believe um northern lights any plans streaming on twitch he definitely would get more viewers and he deserves it. Um, I wonder, I mean, I don't know anything about Twitch. Um, so that's, that's interesting. I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into that. Is that something that can be simulcast? Because I mean, that would be, that would be a certainly, you know, something that we could consider. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have no clue. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into it. Um, been going uh, comment from Strike Force Alpha. Thank your team. I've been going through the videos. I've been very impressed. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. Uh, my team is just stellar. Gate Gabber, Linda, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony. <laughs> you guys are fantastic. Uh, Summer as well. Summer is uh, is taking a, a break right now. So. Uh, we will uh, we will wait. Uh, we are eagerly awaiting to have her back, and I hope that she's she's doing well. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So someone, one of the mods posted, ask David Blue. David Blue probably knows the answer about Destiny. I'm sure he does, and he ain't telling. That's what we've got here. Dial the Gate is uh, this month offering a giveaway. We've partnered with Big J Customs for April to give you a chance to get your very own custom pop figure. To enter to win one of these items, you need to use a desktop or a laptop, excuse me, a desktop or a laptop computer and go to visit dialthegate.com and scroll down to submit trivia questions. Your trivia may be used in a future episode of Dial the Gate, either for our monthly trivia night or for a special guest to ask me in a round of trivia. There are three slots for trivia, one easy, one medium, and one hard. Only one needs to be filled in, but you're more than welcome to submit up to three. Please note, the submission form does not currently work for mobile devices. Your trivia must be received before May the 1st. If you're the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email to get your address, and please be sure to check out our partner's website for more Stargate-related merchandise at bigjcustomsart.com. And Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free. And we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. We currently offer four themed designs. The Word Cloud designs have a solid background or transparent background option, so you have some flexibility between choosing your light and dark color. And keep that in mind when you're making your selection. Check out is fast and easy, and you can even use our Amazon, your Amazon or PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.redbubble.com and thank you for your support. So we have tomorrow a long day planned. <laughs> 10 a.m. Pacific time. This is the earliest I've ever done a show. Uh, we're starting off in the UK 
for our first two episodes, Sally Malcolm, uh, Fandemonium founder and novelist. She's going to be coming on to talk about that series. Uh, Sally and I go way back to the very beginning when she she launched uh, this this show so or this show this uh, this series of novels and they have been pumping these out just crazy over the years so I'm going to be interested to to sit down with I'm going to be it's going to be great to sit down with her and talk with her about a lot of uh, the the different novels that uh, her team has produced over the years and a lot of the different stories. And hopefully she'll give you some tidbits into um, where uh, the shows uh, went in the novel universe after uh, each uh, series. So some of them are set after uh, Atlantis. uh, And some of them, some of the books are set during SG-1 in Atlantis as well. Most of them are set during. You look at the front of the book and it tells you in between which episodes... uh, a lot of them took place, but they, they definitely wrote uh, a number to conclude the Atlantis uh, series as well. So she's at 10 a.m. tomorrow Pacific time. Sue Ann Braun will also be joining us from the U.K. for her second episode. She is host of uh, Hathor Hosts, and so she is coming on to reveal her guests for the rest of season two, which is going on now at YouTube.com slash Hathor Hosts. She's going to be joining us at noon. And then at 2 o'clock, I cannot wait, Musetta Vander. She'll be joining us uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific time to discuss her career and Shawnock. Uh, I have always loved uh, her performance, and uh, not just in, in Stargate, but in Star Trek Voyager and in a, in a few others that, have been man- that I've managed to catch. So it's a real coup that we've got her on the show, and uh, we will be uh, bringing her to you tomorrow at 2 p.m., Pacific time. Once again, thanks to my production assistants, Linda, Gabber Fury, Jennifer Kirby, my mod team, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony, and Summer. You guys make this show happen. I think that's all we got for you here. I'll be seeing you uh, tomorrow starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time for Sally Malcolm and then uh, Sue Ann at noon and Musetta at 2 p.m. That's what we've got. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. Thanks so much for tuning everyone. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner. Co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>